We're learning to fish in the deep waters of Revelation. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. We've all heard that if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Well, in our current series, Jim isn't spoon-feeding us the proper understanding of John's apocalypse. He's showing us how to read Revelation for ourselves and understand it. In the message we'll begin today, he'll demonstrate another piece of fishing gear that we can use. The sermon is called, The Last Prophet Standing. I remember as a child struggling with the statement that God makes that for every grain of sand on our deserts and our oceans, there is a star. And then God's saying that he has every star named because of the grandeur and greatness of his power, not one fails. Brothers and sisters, we serve a great God, greater than our imaginations can contain. And it's perhaps at that moment when we no longer can imagine, when we're forced to confront him outside the narrow little boxes of our definitions, our attempts to understand, then worship begins. He's a great and glorious God. We're studying, we're studying mechanisms that I trust will empower you and equip you to comprehend and share with others the magnificent book where he declares his plan for the future. It's not been my purpose, nor is it my purpose tonight, to teach you the book of the Revelation. What I'm trying to do in this series of studies is to equip you, to give you tools that I trust will help you understand and rightly discern the book of the Revelation. Let me review some of them from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through to the end, the book is biographical. Don't lose that. The main purpose of the book of Revelation is to tell you and me about the rest of the story concerning the person Jesus. It's a grand story. But it takes us against so many levels so many conflicting things, so many unresolved questions from other parts of the scripture. It's biographical. Second thing I wanted us to remember is that we as the bride of Christ are not gonna be participating or experiencing much of what the book of the Revelation says. It's very clear. Chapter 3, verse 10, that Jesus promises to keep out of, not through, not in, keep out of this terrible time that's going to test all the world, those who are his children, those who are his flock. Tried to show you, thirdly, that the book divides itself into two major sections. 
The first three chapters have to do with things that John saw historically on the Isle of Patmos, things that he heard. The rest of the book are things that must take place after this. And I've tried to help you see that in those first three chapters, it's all about Jesus and his church while the church is still here on the earth. When you come to chapter 4, verse 1, the text tells us that we are about to visit things that must take place. So when you travel through the book of the Revelation, you're not traveling on the same soil. You're traveling in different dimensions. You're traveling through different experiences, some past, some present, most of it future. I've tried also to show you that the material in that which is to be future divides into two groups. The first group, which you will easily trace, is the chronological backbone of the book. And there are basically four sections. There are seven seals that must be opened. There are seven trumpets that angels blow or announce. There are seven thunders, and we don't know what those thunders said. And then there are seven bowls. That's the chronology of the book. That's what moves you through the book and keeps you in sync. Interlocked into those four epic chronologies, the seals, the trumpets, the thunders, and the bowls, there are pockets of information which are special interviews. Call them what you wish, but time stops and John has taken on a personal investigation for some specific target some specific thing. The material in those passages is not locked into chronology. That's where you get confused. In those personal interviews, John is either taken by an angel or by an elder, and he sees things that spill over into the past, past meaning where you've already been through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven uh, thunders. You're going to go back there, and you're going to go forward. And when you come back to the next unit, whether it's from the seal to the trumpet or from a trumpet to the bowl, you're going to come back in time to the sequencing that is logical and sequential. And I've tried to encourage you to mark your Bible and to treat those two groups of information, or those two bodies of information, differently. It's the only way you'll ever have a chance to make sense of and discover the order of the book of the Revelation. Now tonight, I want to uh, quickly show you the amount of time that is covered in the book of the Revelation and then I want to lock in on the first way of helping you understand those time units. What I'm saying is that whenever John went to heaven in chapter 4, verse 1,
He went into time and space beyond where we have been. He's out there in the future. He's writing about things that we've not experienced yet, but will experience. They must take place. And what I'm trying to show you in this brief outline is that when it comes to the number of years involved to do the things that are covered by that material, it's a relatively brief time. If you turn to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, you're in eternity. New heavens, new earth. No sea, no sin, no sun. Whole new creation. That's the last two chapters. And at that point, you're over into eternity future. Before you get to eternity future, if you back up from that, the first thing you experience is the great white throne judgment where death is finally destroyed, where all unbelievers are assigned the place that they have earned in the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. That's what you find at the end of chapter 20. Also in chapter 20, you discover this great thousand-year period. Now, you can't miss it. It's mentioned six or seven times. So you move from eternity, I'll turn to the future, coming back, you move from eternity into this thousand-year period of time. And there's some particular things that will take place during that thousand years, and they are clearly spelled out for you. Satan will be bound in the abyss for the thousand years, one of the things. If you move back before Satan is bound in the abyss, you bump into the battle of Armageddon with Jesus returning from heaven. The period of time from Jesus returning from heaven to fight the battle of Armageddon and the signing of the treaty that starts the 70th week of Daniel is a period of seven years. It's a lunar year. Each month has 30 days. So we're thinking backwards. Eternity, before eternity, thousand year reign of Christ on earth. Satan's in the abyss. What happens before that? You have seven years that are defined in Daniel chapters, uh, chapter 8 as being the 70th week of Daniel. We're going to turn our attention there in just a moment. What comes before that? The church. So in the book of the Revelation, you're not dealing with massive amounts of time. You're dealing from the first seal that is open, which starts that 70th week of Daniel, and it is seven years, 12 months per year, 30 days per month. That's what it is. And that takes you from chapter 6, verse 1, all the way to chapter 19, 20. The bulk of the book of the Revelation, the six seals being broken, the six trumpets being blown, the sixth 
thunders executing whatever they said that John was not permitted to write, and the seven bowls of wrath, all of that takes place in that period of time. Seven earth years, 12 months per year, 30 days per month. That's the period I want to draw your attention to tonight. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. I hope you grab what I just said. It makes it a whole lot simpler when you understand the scope of time that you're dealing with. Whenever the rapture takes us out, and the treaty is signed, Daniel chapter 9, not chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, it will be signed by the one who eventually becomes the Antichrist and rules the world. And he signs a treaty, a covenant, with the nation of Israel for one week. That's seven years. It's broken in half because he breaks the treaty halfway through. So you got seven years, seven earth years, for everything that takes place from chapter 6, verse 1, when the first seal is broken, until Jesus fights the battle of Armageddon in chapter, what is it, 19 or 20? 19, I think. Maybe 20. Got it? Seven years, Jesus returns. A thousand years. The present heaven and earth are destroyed, and we're in eternity. That's all the time that you got in the book of Revelation. That's it. Makes it very simple. And tonight we want to look at that 70, 70th week of Daniel. In Revelation chapter 11, an angel comes to heaven, and he has, comes down from heaven, and he has the scroll. I think it's the scroll that was sealed by seven seals. Now all the seals are gone, and the scroll is open. It can be read. And so the proclamation is read, and what the proclamation says, Jesus won. He takes it all. That's what the scroll says, and that's what the angel announces, that the creator of all things won the victory necessary to demonstrate that he has the authority and the right to take command of the earth and to expunge from the earth all who refuse his authority, his will, and his offer of eternal salvation. That's what the little scroll said. Now John is invited to take that scroll and eat it. And when he eats it, he tells us that first his belly was sweet. Look at verse 9, Revelation 10, 9. I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will be bitter in your stomach, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I ate it, my stomach became bitter. I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And that's exactly what he's about to do. That is exactly what he's going to do from here chapter 11, all the way through to the end of the book. John is going to pronounce the effects or the consequences 
of what that little scroll declared. Jesus had the authority to open it. He has the authority to take control of everything that's represented by that little scroll. Some have called it the title deed of the earth. Good description. When John eats it, at first it's sweet in his mouth. And that's the part I want to talk about tonight. But later it's bitter in his belly. What was sweet in his mouth? John says, I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. Go and measure God's sanctuary and the altar and count those that worship there. But exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. Don't measure it because it is given to the nations and they, the nations, will trample the holy city for 42 months. Mark that. That's the first of five references we're going to focus on tonight. 42 months. 42 months is one half of a seven-year period. That's what it is. One half. So for half of this seven-year period, which Gabriel explained to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, for half of that, it tells us the nations are going to uh, trample the holy city. Now, anybody know what the holy city is? Las Vegas, right? No, it's Dubai. No, it's Mecca. No, it's, now there's only one city in the whole scripture that's called the holy city. It's Jerusalem. Now, notice what it says. It says, for half of this seven-year period, for 42 months, the nations will trample the holy city. Now, for us, that doesn't sound like good news, but I want you to mark that. We'll be back to it in just a minute. Now, the next verse, I will empower my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, dressed in sackcloth. 1,260 days is the same as 42 months. Now, I'm going to teach you tonight what I believe is the only possible interpretation of this passage. You could choose to disagree, but I want to show you why. 1260 days, God is going to empower his two witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days. Now let's note their career. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes to their mouths, consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed. He must be killed. It's not an option. These two guys are under holy orders. They are to execute any opposition that attempts to throttle them. They are given God's supreme power and he provides protection for them. So for 1260 days, three and a half years, 42 months, these two prophets are going to have a global experience. These men have the power 
to close the sky so that it does not rain during the days of the prophecy. Now, some like to read that and say that means that if they want to, they can. No, that says they will. That says that by the power vested in them by God, they will actually affect the climate of our earth. Globally. Globally. It will not rain on the earth for the 42 months. These two special prophets of God are ministering. Notice also, they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. And they have power to strike the earth with any plague whenever they want. These are two underrated, dynamic prophets of God. It might be possible to say that they are the two most powerful of all the prophets of God. We're going to see in just a moment that the reach of their prophecy is not the nation of Israel. It's not limited to the little land of Palestine, as it used to be called. But first, there's a tragedy. First, there's an interruption. Notice it. When they finish their testimony, 42 months, 1,262 days, when they finish, the beast that comes up out of the abyss. Now you have to go back to understand who that is. That's chapter 9. That's a part of the fifth trumpet. For when the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, the abyss was opened and locust-like creatures came out and for seven months they are given the power to inflict men with excruciating, painful torment. They can't touch the ones who have the seal of God upon their heads. They can't touch them. But everybody else is subject to their torment, and they torment men for seven months. Their torment is so excruciating that men will wish to die and not be able to die. That's where you meet this person, this being. Most of Revelation, the confusing part, the scary part, doesn't cover millennia or centuries or even a full decade. And that's another tip that will help us understand this often misunderstood book. Jim's comments for the next few episodes come under the heading, The Last Prophet Standing. If you'd like to get the entire message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. For a donation of $34 or more, you can get the complete set of nine discs in the series we call With John on the Isle of Patmos. Ordering information is coming up. But let's talk. Let's communicate. If you have a story about how Pastor Jim's ministry has blessed you, that would be great for all of us to hear. Maybe you can share a financial gift to continue the ministry or tell us you're praying for us. We rely on your help in both those areas. Thank you. To reach us, mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. 
That's 800-984-2313. On the internet, find us at rightstartradio.org. You can donate securely online, plus listen to either the raw sermons or the radio shows. You can download the sermons too. And if you sign up for the daily podcast on iTunes, new shows will come right to you every weekday. There's even a link to email us on the site. So please visit rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. One sure way to get confused in the book of Revelation is to see the church where the nation of Israel is the subject and vice versa. More clarity is on the way, should be arriving tomorrow about this time on the next Right Start. Thank you.